on this episode of Where We Are, we take your questions and give you answers. It's a reciprocal thing on this week's episode of Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa. It's the end of the weekend. What's going on? Not much. Not much. Really, truly. Yeah. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, Always love when we do listener questions. Uh, Me too. They're like my favorite. Yeah. No. And we got great ones uh, this time around. I should say, just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the That Sounds Fun Network. And hey, I am spending this weekend uh, going through the PDF for the last time. I even went to FedEx, printed it out, uh, and uh, going through the manuscript of my book, and then I need to send it off and uh, can't make any more changes. It would be a huge encouragement to me if uh, you pre-ordered the book at uh, wherever you buy books. If you want to go to your local local bookstore and sort of uh, get your name on one of the books at your brick and mortar, you could do that. You can go online. Uh, but gosh, I'm excited about this book. I'm in the stage of the writing process, which is fleeting. And maybe it happens like two or three times while you're writing a book where uh, you just go, I think this is this is good. And that lasts for about 48, 72 hours. And then you're back to existential despair. But I'm in the, I think this is pretty good part of it. And so uh, this is a good time to pre-order. Uh, Melissa, one more bit of housekeeping before we... Yes. We asked last week about presidential horse race uh, stuff, and we are so grateful for the responses in that you did respond. Uh, And we got many different answers. We are not so grateful in the fact that uh, what is firmly established is we have a very wide and varied uh, listenership and uh, audience. We got everything from... uh, yes, do this every week. If you don't, you're cowards. Uh, and we got, please don't do this until like October of 2020, <laughs> 2024, uh, because I hate that the campaign is too long. And then we got some answers in between. Uh, we are, um, you know, we, we, we don't... Uh, Uh, generally think when it comes to politics that you should just aim to split the difference. Uh, uh, We we think that there are uh, principles that should guide policy decisions, not just uh, triangulation. But in this case... We triangulated hard. Yeah. (laughs) We're, 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 We're splitting the difference on this one. And Eric Rubio, a listener made the suggestion that we're going with. Eric, sensible guy, solid guy. He knows what he's talking about. He suggested doing it uh, just once a month. And so once a month, starting in August, uh, we'll 
just do, it won't be the whole episode, but it'll be a, a sort of uh, rundown of the the horse race. Uh, who The power rankings. Yes, power rankings. And uh, we'll start in August because we'll set sort of the benchmark uh, and then the first debate's in August. The first debate's August 23rd. And then Iowa's GOP just announced that the first primary for the entirety of the GOP will be January 15th. So it won't be too long after August. We'll yeah. have about four rankings before we hit that very first primary. So we think that August is a good time, once a month. And, and I had the idea... <laughs> <laughs> that alongside this power ranking of uh, the GOP, we're we're gonna throw in a very much a Ware family power ranking. We were thinking through what else could we power rank that we think that our listeners would deeply enjoy, and we thought pasta shapes, pasta shapes, pasta Ty- shapes, types of pasta, and you know maybe this whole thing will merge by the time we get to like February, March, and it's just a bit crazed, and we'll just start comparing different presidential candidate, candidates to pasta shapes. And, yeah, like uh, Tim Scott's going to be bow tie, you know, like things <laughs> like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, that just popped into my head. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But we're going to have the GOP power rankings, and we're going to have the pasta the where pasta shape rankings. It it will be the authoritative. Yes, there will be no other power ranking of pasta shapes that will ever come close to the power ranking we are about to give you. <laughs> uh, okay, Melissa. Before we get into questions, yeah. Do we want to talk cocaine? Let Let's talk cocaine yeah, at the okay. White House. Yeah, I tweeted about this. It's usually the kind of story we don't cover until there's actual news. Yeah. And, you know, this is like one of those classic, especially, you know, honestly, the only thing that surprises me is that it's not in August. Uh, this is this is totally <laughs> like an August story, but it's it like really not much is going on. In July, and, the month before. Yeah. And, uh, and this is the kind of story that's like 95% gossip. Mm-hmm. It's also the kind of story that like peters out. Uh, you know, it's made a big deal, and then just like it's the kind of story that now now there are exceptions. This might be one, but this does read to me like of the genre of story that ninety five percent of which the media just all of a sudden doesn't care about it after a while, and it just sort of like uh, peters out. But it was the all the news this week. The the basic. The, the basic rundown is, I read about this. I couldn't remember if it was yeah. Politico or Axios, but I read, mm-hmm. I read a briefer on it in one of the emails I get about uh, the, the, I think Secret Service identifying white powder that was tested, yeah, uh, was found to be cocaine. And the theory that was advanced in this email, which, you know, is like, it, it's, it's, well, the theory that was, that was advanced is that it was likely uh, through West Wing tour. Yes. That, um, that, you know, White House staff are able to host family and outside guests for tours and the theory was 
an outside guest brought cocaine in and it was at the White House. Uh, it was left at the White House. Uh, what was odd, Melissa, is this played out all week. Of course, there were like right wing, you know, uh, uh, this is this is Joe Biden's secret stash kind of kind of uh, kind of stories. Um, what was weird is that there there was like a developing about a story about like where it was found, and at one point the st- the story like switched to it being found on West Exec Avenue, and I was seeing like a lot of Twitter chatter like this changes everything, and uh, uh, some some conservative people were being like that's where the vice president's car goes, and it's like you know it's where like a lot of people's uh, uh, cards go. It's also where all of the tours, yeah, where all the West Wing tours go in. Like, so it it was weird to me. This like uh, uh, this changes everything. When it was like, no, actually, this this ma- actually makes a lot of sense with with the, the 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 theory that was initially initially advanced. Um, Melissa, we told in an earlier episode, we told about when <laughs> when you came for a visit to the West Wing. One of many. And you were on West Exec and Avenue. And I, I went through that entrance, yes. And you went and through I that entrance. And I wasn't supposed to go through that entrance. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Um, but so, so, yeah. So we're not going to do updates on this story. I, I tweeted about it once. Uh, just to share this, this West Exec is the West Wing tour place. Uh, I don't plan on tweeting about it again unless actual news comes out. But what a weird! I mean, it is just such one of those weird stories. I do. I was listening. I was listening to uh, John Favreau, uh, my my old colleague uh, John Favreau, uh, who worked at the White House. And and he was saying something that I thought was, which is, you know, the, the most likely thing is that someone out there knows it was their cocaine, <laughs> 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 and 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 is just watching all of this, all of this take place, but doesn't want to incriminate themselves, and yeah. so the entire machinery of the fourth estate. You know the and of course like you you know they're thinking like do I do I tell <laughs> like like do I tell and, and there is a there is like a drama going on that probably only one person knows knows about like this whole internal chaos that is happening. Yeah. So yeah, any any thoughts about no, cocaine have, at the White House? I Melissa? have no further thoughts about cocaine at the White House. You know, I will say it is one of those. Um, see, th- this is where I'm conf- <laughs> okay. this yeah. is where I'm conflicted. Okay, which is is this story happening because the Biden White House is boring and we've made America boring? We've made politics boring again. And so this is like, I mean, like in the Obama years when, is you know, there would be, suit? is this his tan suit? <laughs> uh, uh, well, during the Obama years, there was like three days of stories because someone like got over the fence at the White House and people yeah. were like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, 
Uh, or, you know, should should this be treated as, um, should this be treated as, <laughs> what is cocaine doing at the White House? <laughs> Which, you know, is not an insane. No, it's a very valid <laughs> very question. Very valid, very valid, very valid uh, we question. All, we know that people work long hours there, so I mean, for me. <laughs> no, so this is the thing, though. This is why when you come on as a new administration, you shouldn't have uh, uh, on background administration officials complaining uh, that there's that national security advisors have to have never done drugs before. Uh, I don't know if you remember all of that, yeah, Melissa. Uh-huh. Like there okay. was this kind of mini campaign that that drug. Uh, uh, prohibitions on getting on having a hit, a drug history uh, and getting security clearance like should be should be weakened. And there was like this weird like in the opening like month of the Biden administration, there were people who found the time and thought it was like a great idea to be like, no, this is a travesty. Like we need to. This is the story we need to be pushing out and. Uh, yeah, not, not, not a priority on my list. I'll be honest. Like I just, yeah. M- mine either. All right, let's move on. Let's get questions. to questions. All right, let's start off with, what kind of political humor makes you laugh? Is there a kind of political humor that you think is unhelpful or even harmful? So this is the question that inspired this question episode because it came out of the blue. Yeah, in an from email, a listener. and I deeply enjoyed it. And uh, to this listener, you prompted an entire question episode just because of how great of a question this is. <laughs> yeah. Melissa, what would what would you say? So I told this person that my very first instinct within three seconds of reading this of what's my type of political humor to sort of give the vibes is the, um, the Key and Peele skit at the 2015 White House Correspondents' Dinner where, um, you know, uh, President Obama was in the middle of giving his, you know, his speech with full of jokes and it's Luther, the anger translator, <laughs> translating all of like the very um, pragmatic or politically correct or whatever type of statements that Obama's making. And then it's just Luther, the anger translator, just like throwing stuff out there. I think that that's hilarious. I think that's funny. It's one of the it's one of my favorite skits that I can think of um, in political humor. Now, when it when I think of humor that I think is unhelpful or harmful, I have a I have a very, very stark, staunch, strong, whatever you want to call it, red line around um, uh, political humor that goes towards any politician's child or children. Uh, I think that that's deeply harmful, unhelpful. I think it's completely off bounds. You do not do it the second that you like are making fun of somebody's kid, no matter who they are, whose kid it is, what child it is. I... It's off limits for me. So that's one of the big red lines that I have in terms of something being harmful or unhelpful. Uh, Michael, I know that you you and I talk all the time about where the lines are when it comes to the political humor and sort of stuff being reverent, actually funny versus things that start to become counterproductive or things that lead people down certain avenues where they kind of blur the lines between pop culture, politics, humor, the whole thing. What do you, well, first of all, what's your kind of political humor? And then 
what's your answer to that second part of the question? Yeah, so there there's a range of political humor I love. I I uh, I've liked Lewis Black for a long time. You have for sure, uh, and got to see him. Uh, actually, took my mother to see him on Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, uh, I. Um, you know, I think John Mulaney's horse in a hospital bit is, is a really, I think that is very like a high level, like, uh, quality political humor. It makes you think Mm -hmm. it has different sort of turns in it that, sort of I like political humor that can make people feel like all their biases are being affirmed but then turn it on them yes uh and so they think that oh we're all laughing at those people and then all of a sudden sort of there's a turn that turns it uh on on them um and I like that myself if 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 uh, if I'm sort of made to feel uh, that way, I, I think that's one of the gifts that comedians can can give. Um, you know, we've referenced this article quite a bit, but it's a John Escanis, uh, who's a professor at Catholic University, a friend, wrote an article for the New Atlantis about how John Stewart made Tucker Carlson. That I think is really good. I think we might have named it one of the best articles of 2022. Yeah. Um, I think... I do think this sort of... pseudo-informational comedy about politics. So, so I think if it's a stand-up, you have almost free reign. And like... I think people need to have the common sense to understand that they're going to see a stand-up act, and that's what it is. I think where I get concerned is when when you have non-comedians or comedians presenting themselves as something more than that, uh, as sort of authorities or as, as... you know, objective, um, you know, experts or people making objective analysis and then sort of using uh, uh, comedy sort of um, turning politics into, into, into entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah. yeah, so, so I, and, you know, I, I think John points out not that, you know, John Stewart was never funny or that there aren't good good bits that he did. I think John's argument is that over time what it cultivated, the kind of uh, approach it cultivated in a certain set of people to the actual uh, practice of politics, I think John makes a really good argument that it was a net, net negative. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a great article. And you and I have often throughout the years, I mean, early on in our early political careers, we would have a lot of 
much younger people come up to us, especially you were already working in the White House, and just say, you know, like, I'm into this because of, you know, this. Yeah, yeah. and I'd be like, no, if you're into politics because of Jon Stewart, you're not into politics. (laughs) Like, you're, like... That that is not the on ramp you want to take. Yeah, the the amount of people who uh, would come to us with with that particular kind of like viewpoint of why they'd want to go get a degree was it was a lot. So it's like it's a very like he's very uh, that type of comedy is like very influential, and so I think that that particular art- article um, kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, I also I wanted to say because you're completely right that stand up I think is much better when it comes to political jokes. I think another good one is Mike Berbiglia. We really like him. Yeah, we do. And the stuff that he does um, uh, when he does go political, we, which we is not to, often. It's not but often, yeah. but he'll he'll throw it in there, and we think yeah, yeah. he's kind of like a John Mulaney in that like the way that he crafts his jokes is very smart. Yeah. We think. Um, so next question. Uh, you, this was this was the question UFOs question mark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll say I don't have very strong opinions. I don't. Um, I I'm not someone who believes that sort of everything hangs on the question. I actually think it's the kind of thing that people who want everything to to sort of hang in the balance and be uncertain. I think people use the UFO question to be like, if this was true, everything would change. And because we don't know that it's not, that UFOs don't exist, and how could we like sort of know anything? Like it sort of serves that function for some people. Um, I, you know, would be interested to find out, you know, like, like, but I don't, it's not something I think about. Uh, I think about often, um, I will go down the rabbit hole, like every, it seems like every, you know, year, uh, there's at least one moment in which, you know, the Pentagon has something weird come out, or there's some sort of, uh, you know, essay about someone who you know dug into dug into questions but yeah melissa yeah you, you've I always mean, been interested in yeah what do of you course think? i oh. mean this question's coming up because last month nasa gave a public pre- press conference on their study into what they call unidentified anomalous phenomena so uaps instead of ufos i, I think they're pretty much the same thing and NASA apparently this month of July will be coming out with an actual written report of what they found. But they, you know, this this public meeting that was held last month in June, you're saying that they get about 50 to 100 reports every month, but they find that in their actual database, the totality of their database of all these reports of these UAPs, 2 to 5% are really possibly anomalous or actually unidentified so but two to five percent when you think about the entire database is still pretty high and so that's why i think that a lot of people were again like you're saying it seems like every year every couple years there's something some report comes out where you kind of go okay so is this it is are are we revealing that we do have evidence of this you know, and it's a, and so I'm waiting for this month for this July report from NASA to see if there's because a lot of people are saying, oh, this was a smoking gun, this public meeting, and I, I mean, I read through the stuff and I, I didn't think it was. I was kind of like, we need more information for me to think anything of this. So I'm waiting on this July on this July report, 
And uh, essentially, like, what I want when it comes to, like, answering a question like this is I would prefer if the government were a little bit more open as to what its plans are, should we actually discover that there are true unidentified flying objects filled with beings from a different, you know, galaxy planet. I would like to know what the plans are, what the initial plans are. I would not. I really? think that's an I awful would. idea. I know. It would, I know. It would, <laughs> uh, I, from, from, a, from a political standpoint, it would be horrific. And this is why we don't actually have any kind of information. But for me, I'm kind of like, what does the government have plan? Do we have plans? Do we not have a plan? Are there 16 plans? Or is there one? <laughs> I'd like to know. So that's my answer to that question. What's behind, oh. what's behind door number two? No, for yeah. real. What's the policy? my friends <laughs> love the ufo question though. yes thank you uh do you know what do you know who makes me just to close yeah do you know who makes me think about ufos every year so ross dalfat <laughs> will we'll write a column it's on true. ufos consistent uh, uh, yes every every uh year two and that usually sends me down the rabbit hole uh, if you're interested, we should have him on the pod we should have him just UFOs. to talk to ufos <laughs> if you're interested about the subject uh uh just like Go to the New York Times, search out that, and like uh, uh, extraterrestrials, UFOs, and he has some good good columns on the subject. Okay. All right. Next question. We have been asked to discuss ranked choice voting, and we actually did an episode on this. It's episode 32 um, uh, from September 2022. We were talking about in conjunction with uh, Alaska's primary, where they, they actually do use ranked choice voting to decide and it's a great episode it's actually our second most listened to episode ever and so i will put that in the episode notes it's a great place to see sort of our thoughts on the whole issue yep now our next question where do you wish faith-based media would provide more accountability yeah um Oh gosh, you, you you know I I. It's an interesting question. I kind of you know kind of uh, am interested in the thoughts of the person who asked it. You know, you you, you, you want more accountability where more accountability is like needed. <laughs> you know, like so. I'm very grateful for the reporting that's going on right now around sexual abuse and various religious environments i'm you know i i think that we've seen some really good investigative journalism um you know around uh you know various sort of controversies and issues of of sort of um misuse of religious institutions have come up you know but but kind of the thing and this is kind of a this is only somewhat responsive to the question, uh, or at least what I think the questioner is getting to. But you know, for me, the best the best religious journalism, or the best the best journalism on religion, is uh, explanatory. It, it, it helps readers get inside of a religious community, a religious practice that is you know meaningful to the public and where it could be misconstrued or misunderstood um, or where it could be sort of treated as a, a, a 
you know, as a spectacle or as uh, or as something that that should just be sort of like a tourist attraction, you actually get more in touch with humanity uh, and, and the humanity of your own humanity and the humanity of the people who are sort of the subjects, you know, through the journalism. And so, you know, I think Ruth Graham is very good at this. I think Emma Green's very good at this. I think Bob Smetana is very good at this. I, I think, think Kelsey Dallas is very good. I think my favorite would be Tim Alberta. I think Tim Alberta's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So much is written on is written on evangelicals, white evangelicals, but I, I find that his stories are explainers without but in essay form. And even though obviously he, he grew up in certain spaces and he's close to the ground, he somehow is able to actually go more the explainer route rather than going down like his own baggage route. And yeah. I, I deeply, deeply admire that. Because I think for, for, for faith-based media reporting, I think those types of personal biases, you know, where you came from, wh- wherever it may be, um, no matter what faith you're covering, I think 100%. that it's something that is getting better and again we've just listed a bunch of people i mean there's various different outlets even outlets where like they're very clear as to where they stand on the political spectrum like trying to hold themselves accountable in this way um but i still see it with uh some coverage some reporting um and you you really see it on uh, a few different issues but and the other one where the other two sort of uh, issue areas where i feel like one i don't see really an quite an issue with it per se but it's something that i think even faith-based media reporting has to look out for is misinformation and disinformation um i don't think that uh reporting on religion is free from those things oh okay yeah um and then the second thing would be the coverage of christian nationalism if you've listened to our uh if you've listened to us to talk about Christian nationalism, uh, we think it's probably one of the most popular areas for religion or faith-based media to be covering right now, um, as it should be. It's a very fascinating, interesting issue, one with a lot of consequences attached to it. Uh, but we think that there could be an improvement. I, I say we, I mean, I think that there can be an improvement on coverage of like that particular uh, subject. Okay, so next question. Do we have thoughts on the forward party? Yes. Um, you know, disclosure, I know some of the folks involved. Um, I think this is a time where for we're we're seeing disruption across many sectors, including politics. And so uh, folks who have listened to me talk about this before, um, there are very strong obstacles in the way of a third party. But I think if it was going to happen at any point over the last 20 years, I'd say, I'd say the, 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 you know, obviously Perot, Mm-hmm. Now that was sort of an individual who had a huge, you know, he had huge finances available. Mm-hmm. But probably this is the time since Perot in which, uh, in which, real disruption and in institution building can take place in the area of of political parties and political institutions. And so, you know, I, I am I am 
supportive of projects like it, um, I think I think the the forward party has a better sense of what it is now than it did a year ago, and we'll have a better sense of what it is a year from now than, uh, you, you know, they're trying to build this uh, as they go and not sort of unnecessarily cut out potential partners. And, uh, and um, they're trying to build on ramps, not sort of, not sort of barriers to entry, and so um, I, I think they're, I think they're very smart. Uh, I, I am interested to see what what develops with them in the coming, uh, in in the coming in the coming months and and years. Uh, but like, do I do I think that they'll be ripped? be ready or that it would even be wise to go presidential in 24 no what will be interesting is if they're able to rack up even a couple wins in local races and they can build credibility that way yeah yeah completely agree on the credibility building starting off small next question which sensible colorado or utah leader is most likely to go national i love this question yeah, yeah, and I've I've talked about him before on the podcast, Spencer Cox, the the governor of Utah. Yes. If we're if we're really focusing on the word sensible in that question. So right, so uh, if there was a third party, you could absolutely see him as see him on a third party ticket. Yeah. Uh, very difficult to see, honestly. You kind of think he would be more likely to be the uh, sort of cross-partisan pick of a Democratic nominee for president than mm. a Republican seeing upside yeah, with I can him. See mm-hmm. um, but I do think he has sort of na- talent to go national. It's just our politics is uh so messed up now that uh people like him don't don't have much of a chance i mean it is kind of funny that this question is asked uh without reference to the fact that michael bennett did run for president in 2020 yeah um and so did john hickenlooper actually yeah hickenlooper those are the two uh, senators of colorado neither of their campaigns did too well, Higginlooper dropped out before votes took place. Bennett dropped out after uh, New Hampshire. Uh, I like Bennett uh, quite a bit. Um, and But, you know, don't think he's going to be the Democratic nominee. I actually think, Melissa, given the, the state of the political parties, what's going on politically, the Colorado-Utah politician that I could see most likely... Uh, like with a national future, it was Jared Polis, the governor of, yes. of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he's often Democrat. Democrat, often in discussion. I prefer uh, Bennett. Um, uh, but, but, but Polis is someone who uh, had 
a growing profile as a congressman and was even mm-hmm. sort of talked about as a potential like VP, whatever, as congressman, as governor, he's had um, nothing that to me would suggest that he doesn't have an eye on a national run in 2028 or at some point in the future. Yeah. So what are our thoughts on the Florida Democratic Party in general? Uh, it's a it's complete a mess. mess right now. Yeah. It's a complete mess right now. Very weak. Um, I don't, you know, there are people like Steve Shale and others. I spent a lot of time, you know, in Florida uh, when I was working directly on presidential campaigns. I know the state, I mean, it's a big state, but I know yes. the state, you know, pretty well. Um, I, there are people who could state, uh, like speak to the health of the party infrastructure better than I could. My, my sort of sense though, is that it's not so much like, oh, if we had a strong, you know, if Democrats had a stronger party chair in, in, you know, this County, uh, in the, uh, you know, they had stronger, uh, you know, better organizers in the I-4, like they'd be in a better shape. No, I just think Florida is a casualty uh, to Democrats of how the parties have shifted, um, which is yeah. to say yeah. Democrats have have been losing support among Hispanic voters over the last decade. Yes. Uh, the, um, the um, cultural issues have... Uh, appealed to younger voters, um, whereas uh, Florida, um, uh, uh, there's a significant uh, 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 population towards the other end of the age, age spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, I just think Florida is, is a state that, based on decisions the Democratic Party has made, um, they they chose to their political strategy has put in play some states Georgia North Carolina um, and it's it's taken out uh, others for the time being including Florida I mean now we we've had several big races Val Demings uh, Gilliam um, right uh, th- that. Democrats have poured a ton of money into, and it's not it's not been as close as they thought it would be. So, um, so 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 yeah, I think the I think the party is in rough shape. I I wouldn't speak to the actual infrastructure of the Democratic Party. I just think the the environment has has meant that the the national party brand is is a drag in Florida. And that's that's harmed that's harmed uh, Democrats' chances in the state. All right, moving from that question to what is giving us hope these days in politics that we might move towards less polarization? Um, I mean, gosh, I think I'm seeing. I know the question is about hope. Uh, I'm not too hopeful over the next 18 months with the presidential campaign. Um, 
I do think we're starting to see some real, some tectonic plate shifting around education, income, that different members of both parties are making appeals that could lead to fractures within the political parties so that we have some diversity on these questions within the parties, which is essential if you're going to have decreased party polarization, which is that you have the ability for cross-party alliances. Like if the divides between the parties are so clean and if the parties themselves are so unified, that tends to lead to these harsh divides of polarization. I'm starting to see that break down again, particularly when it comes to economic economic issues and when it comes to, you know, the way that that relates to polarization, that, that that's a cause for, for hope that we'll see a decline in, in polarization. Yeah, because I think most people would choose to focus more on culture war, so, social issues, like when are those going away, when are those calming down? And I think you're completely right that in the end, a lot of our culture war issues, what sort of hides behind them are economic concerns, and that's just not usually something that's addressed when it comes to the stuff that gets people riled up the most that, you know, gets people to write the vilest things online, like, et cetera, et cetera, to cut somebody off from their life. But a lot of times there are a lot of economic concerns behind these issues. And that if there are some tectonic plates moving, that we might actually see some decrease in this negative hyperpolarization. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah. The the next question, the last of like our substantive questions are, is um, what was your favorite aspect of working in the Obama administration? I didn't work in the Obama administration, but I was uh, I mean, ca- you kind of did. You kind of did. I, I kind of, oh. <laughs> 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 That's a story for another day, folks. You can ask the question next time of what, did, <laughs> what was Melissa's 10 days of interning. No, no, no. I'm thinking about <laughs> State Department, SCAP. I mean, yeah. But that wasn't, but like political appointees. Yeah, like no, no, no. I know. I'm just, at, yeah, yeah. Not the State Department. Um, Anyways, my favorite part of being of being yeah. attached to someone was the parties. Yeah. I'm <laughs> glad Chris, you said that. The so Christmas I... parties, the, the, <laughs> the inauguration parties, like the balls, all of the really fun social stuff. Yeah. Was there, there was a point incredible. where I did like tell you, like, I hope you're enjoying this because this is not a forever oh i was <laughs> like, in awe every time we got to sit in the presidential box a few times at the kennedy center and saw some great acts like i mean i cherished every single aspect of we still had the little m&m's boxes the little champagne bottles from these little events with the the seal of uh yeah so yeah that that was I feel weird following this up with something sort of like earnest uh, uh, or, you know, something, something. I mean, that's earnest uh, uh, on your part. But, um, you know, I I got to people always think, oh, politics, faith based office. You must have seen some really like disheartening stuff with religious leaders. And I, I did see some of that. 
But my favorite part was I got to see the best of religious contribution to the well-being of the country on nearly a daily basis. And that was just tremendously inspiring. Uh, I have never been more prayed for than the four mm-hmm. years when I worked in the White House. Um, and again, just got to um, know faith-based nonprofits and volunteers that were doing incredible work. Got to meet incredible religious leaders and clergy from around the country and and i'll i'll never uh, never uh, forget those those opportunities all right we wrap up those questions now moving on i i had i had a giggle at this question the question is how are you you know it's it's been an exhausting season uh there's a lot of good stuff happening at the center for christianity and public life um, but we're a startup and we have more work that people want from us than we than, uh, than three humans can deliver on, which is a good problem to have. Uh, but it is an exhausting season where hope we're, we're, we're looking to scale, uh, and grow as a team even before the end of this year. Um, uh, but, uh, but I'm feeling a, a bit, uh, a bit exhausted. I am excited about some of the travel I have coming up. We have coming up. Uh, San Francisco, New York, Boston. I'm speaking at Tufts uh, this this coming week, which I'm really excited about. Speaking at some churches over the summer and so excited about some travel coming up. But yeah, that's how I'm doing. I feel like this is a season of sort of like, you know, kind of like powering through, you know? Yeah, powering through is the word. I'm learning how to cook. I'm actually not too bad at it, turns out. I really dislike it, but I'm a pretty good cook. Uh, and yeah, being a parent to two toddlers is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that much. Next question, cake or pie? Melissa? <laughs> pie by a landslide. I don't like cake. I don't like cake at all. I don't eat cake. Yeah, I'm not a big cake person either i don't i do prefer pie you know like my favorite i love like so i'm not a big dessert guy just to, to like generally but when i do have dessert like i do like like mousses i like um you love chocolate cream pie i do like chocolate cream pie best dessert i've ever had was this semifredo in italy that I need to travel back and have that dessert again before the person who made it dies or something. Um, but but yeah, I'm not a big dessert guy, but if I had to choose cake or pie, pie uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My dad makes this really amazing chocolate mint pie that I think about it all the time. You do. And I'm, yeah. I love yeah. that pie so much. Now the next question, I, I had to go look this up because I was like, what? Uh, pickleball. I guess, what are her thoughts on pickleball? I am so pleased to say that I had zero thoughts on pickleball. I know. I don't have thoughts on pickleball either. I had to go look up because I, I was thinking, I was like, is that the game where in like 1980s movies where wealthy people are playing it in that little indoor <laughs> glass box thing? <laughs> no. That's, oh, that is no, ra- that is racquetball. No, it isn't. And people still play that today, actually. Yes. That's not... <laughs> And it's not relegated to know, the 1890s I, or whatever. The 1990s, no, the 1980s. Oh, okay. You know how it is? 
All these like eighties movies, just, half of the characters yeah. are constantly in that glass box playing racquetball. But I thought that that was pickleball. That's not pickleball. No. Um, pickleball can be played indoors or outdoors. It looks like fun. It looks like basically ping. Uh, is it ping pong? Yes, ping pong, but played like in a tennis court. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I, I'm cool. ga- I'm game to yeah, try. Yeah. That's my okay. thought towards it. Uh, can you can uh, tell us something that we like for ourselves? Um, because we've had kids, like something we've started since, since we had yeah. kids, something that we like now that we did it before. Yeah. My answer is baseball. Hmm. Yes, that's a good one. That I, is true. I think I like it with the kids. I like it without them. I don't like it. Like it's not, it's not because I like doing it with them. It, it really, Having kids aged me <laughs> into liking baseball. <laughs> you, Melissa, what would you say? Uh, so I don't mind sitting outdoors as much anymore now that we have kids. <laughs> I don't like the outdoors. I'm so an indoor true, person. So true. And, you know, they're constantly begging to go outside. And so sitting outside now, yeah, sometimes it can be pleasant. And then... Uh, <laughs> And then art museums. I really like art. And I was fine. You know, you and I, we'd go travel and we'd always go to art museums, especially before before we had kids. And like, they're fine with me. But art museums and a lot of museums are even more fun now because our kids are constantly pointing out stuff or getting interested in things where I would have passed them by. And so they're sort of, and I guess that's probably why I like the outdoors too, because my kids will constantly be pointing to something, asking questions about something. Uh, Searsha especially knows that when she asks me a question about anything that could be remotely scientific, I will either tell her the full answer or will go look it up myself. I actually kind of really enjoy that. Uh, that parenthood has sort of brought me into now. So <laughs> what are you exceptionally laughably bad at? Um, anything involving motor skills? <laughs> Um, so true. Yeah, like Sirsha is already exceeding my ability to color. Um, so yep, my, she is. she's not gonna like have that thing that like most kids have, where at least until they're like ten or twelve, they think like their parent is like an art genius. No, like mine is already like Dada. I got this. Like, mm-hmm. th- thanks for the thought, but. But uh, let, let me take it from here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am laughably bad at following written directions. If you have, if you give me like a recipe or a, to build some very cheap piece of furniture off of Amazon or a game, like a board game, a card game, and you have me read the directions after maybe, maybe the first, maybe I can get to the second step, my brain just starts repeating some song on repeat or goes to mush i cannot follow written directions i'm very very bad at it so most of the time i just just start doing stuff on my own without reading the directions i'm that kind of person because i just i know that i'm gonna shut down when i start reading them (laughs) so our last question do we enjoy watching political shows together examples like the west wing or veep or others i would have to say that you and i together we don't watch too many political shows. We love them when they're well done. Yes. If they're not well done, we, we can't turn them off after the them. first few episodes. So like 
the most recent example would be The Diplomat on Netflix. Which was actually kind of a border. Like, it took us, it took us, like, four or five episodes to decide that, like, they just made too many errors. They made too many, like, plot shortcuts yeah. for uh, for it to be sustainable. There are other shows that we've done where it's been, like, we're 20 minutes in and we're like, nope. Like, Designated Survivor. 20 minutes yeah. into Designated Survivor. I was like, nope, not going to be able to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have a I have a confession to make. I've never actually seen more than like three episodes of The West Wing, which is ridiculous. I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like it. Which is fine. sorry. No, it's fine. I'm not like the biggest West Wing guy, but it is kind of a show that's worth. But probably giving a chance. the show that we watched through all the way through, and we've now watched through again that we both love deeply would be Homeland. A hundred percent. Homeland would be our favorite political show that we have ever watched together and have watched again together. Yeah. And I think Madam Secretary was very Madam well Secretary done. We've talked about this cute. on previous episodes. Yes. It's very well done. I think they had very good consultants and writers on the show. I think we just didn't stick with it because it felt like you were watching a network TV show. Yeah. Um, in a way... That when you have sort of premium, yeah, that's able to be a bit more sophisticated, yeah. Um, it just didn't hold my attention. But I remember like watching the episodes and liking them. But like that, the the things that they feel they need to do for episodic network television, so that people can like jump in at any time. So like every episode has to be like self-contained, whatever. Like I just it didn't. It didn't feel like it would be a smart investment of, of my time to watch every episode for seasons, you know? Yeah. I did get to meet, like, a bunch of the cast at the White House Correspondents' Dinner one year. Oh, yeah. Um, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. You were excited. Yeah, yeah. Wait, right. don't I have a boat? Don't I have a Don't oh. I have a boat uh, picture uh, in the tux with um, the dude who plays... The husband. The husband? Yes, the professor. Yeah. Yeah. I just I him. just remembered that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great photo. If I if I do say so myself, <laughs> it's yeah. not often I get dressed up in a in a tux. Yeah, no, it's not. And I'm so jealous when you went to that correspondence dinner. So I jealous. mean, I did have to sit with Newt and Callista Gingrich, so don't be. And then you sat next to that football player from New England Patriots as a Buffalo Bills fan. That was you, you were texting me back and forth with that one. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, there was like a very, we were like very friendly. And then I was like, I made a Bill's comment uh, just to make sure that I wasn't betraying Bill's mafia. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, we didn't exchange numbers uh, after that. It was Malcolm Butler. Yeah, yeah, Malcolm yeah. Butler, who, who a fantastic yeah, football very, player. Yeah, very good yeah. player. That is it, folks. That's the, that's the end of our list of our uh, audience questions Great Hope you questions. enjoyed it. Thank you for the good questions again. We'll we'll obviously do this again in a few weeks. Uh, but until then, I mean, not maybe not in a few weeks, but like we'll we'll do it again at some at a some few point. months. I within before the end of the year. <laughs> we'll... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right, you've been listening to where we are. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.
It's the end of the weekend, but I still wanna.